Hi there. I'm Mark Swallow, and I'm glad you are joining me for today's God Is podcast. Let's get started learning who God is. Thank you for joining me today from wherever you are and by however you listen. As we meet together coast to coast here in the United States and all the way around the world. Last time we were talking about the mystery of God's providence. And we did so reflecting on God hardening the heart of the Egyptian Pharaoh. In the book of the Psalms, Psalm number 105 intrigues us in its relation to the Exodus. I am reading Psalm 105, verses 23 through 26. Israel also came into Egypt. Thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And God caused his people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their adversaries. God turned their heart to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. God sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. Verse 25 pops off the page and hits us between the eyes. God turned their heart to hate his people. By this, the psalmist means that God turned the hearts of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians to hate the Israelites. God providentially caused his people to be hated. Reacting, pastor and author, John Piper comments, If I had been an Israelite, I would have been right to say, because of God's ultimate and decisive providence, we are hated by the Egyptians. I would not be able to say that the Egyptians were innocent, nor would I be able to say that God is sinful or cruel. I might be legitimately perplexed why God would plan such a plight for his own people, but it would not be legitimate to criticize God or impute to him malevolent motives. I will say with Moses The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Close quote. I do not know about you, but I read these verses in Psalm 105, and I start to think God really does deserve a complaint here. What do you mean, Lord, that you have intentionally turned the hearts of Pharaoh and the Egyptians to hate? That is the word. To hate your own people? Admittedly, I react that way because, at least in part, I know that God has the capacity and sometimes the will to turn people's hearts to hate me today in my life. If God did this then, he can do this now. I find that thought more than slightly disturbing. But then I read the whole psalm. And I find out that the psalmist does not find fault in God for what God has done. Just a few more verses fitting task to time. Psalm 105 verses 1 through 3. This is how it begins. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Rather than blaming or finding fault with God, he is actually praising God. He give God thanks. 
He sings to him, sings praises to him. He glories in God's name, and he is glad. And the psalm ends the same way in verses 43 through 45. I am reading verses 43 through 45 of Psalm 105. And God brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He gave them also the lands of the nations, that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labor, so that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord! What strikes me in reading all of the psalm together is that what God did in verse 25, turning hearts to hate his people, is actually done to bring about a greater salvation than was otherwise possible. God sovereignly and providentially used the hatred against Moses and the Israelites to deliver them out of Egypt and away from the Pharaoh by the might and powerful works God put on display in the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. Those miracles would not have stood out as boldly had God not hardened hearts. In other words, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart was part of a much, much bigger picture of what God was doing. Almighty God was saving his people, but in the process of saving them, he hardened hearts against the very people he was saving. Could God have simply delivered the Israelites without, for example, hardening hearts, the signs, the plagues, the dry sea crossing? Yes, God could have done that, but he didn't. He included the turning of hearts to hate his people. And God does this not only here, but over and over again in the Bible. Think Joseph's life. Think Jesus' death. And God does this in our lives also. This is a fact. God does not show mercy to everyone. Not everyone is saved today. Many are perishing in their sin. They have very hard hearts. And sometimes God hardens their hearts towards we who are God's people. This is that other side to predestination. Still, we marvel at God's salvation for those who have received his mercy and are saved. His salvation of those of us he has predestined stands out all the more because God delivers us from hatred. He performs his miracle of saving grace in our hearts in such a way that we worship him in reverential awe for who he is. We too can say, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. We are glad. We sing our songs of thanksgiving and we glory in his holy name. When we consider the very biblical doctrine of predestination, we have to remember the much, much bigger picture of what God is doing. I agree with Pastor Piper. Pharaoh and the Egyptians were not innocent. They were guilty of sin. Those alive today for whom God has not shown mercy, they are not innocent. They are guilty of sin. And God is definitely not sinful or cruel. 
We cannot criticize God for having mercy on some and hardening others. We cannot assign to God evil motives. Instead, we must accept predestination is true and it has two sides. There is double predestination. We just have to make certain we understand it as best we can, given the wisdom of the Holy Spirit speaking to us from what is revealed in the written word of God. Let's end this discussion on double predestination with another friend, theologian R.C. Sproul. Dr. Sproul states this at the end of his chapter on double predestination in his book, Chosen by God. I'm quoting him now. In God's ultimate act of judgment, he gives sinners over to their sins. In effect, he abandons them to their own desires. So it was with Pharaoh. By this act of judgment, God did not blemish his own righteousness by creating fresh evil in Pharaoh's heart. He established his own righteousness by punishing the evil that was already there in Pharaoh. This is how we must understand double predestination. God gives mercy to the elect by working faith in their hearts. He gives justice to the reprobate by leaving them in their own sins. There is no symmetry here. One group receives mercy. The other group receives justice. No one is a victim of injustice. None can complain that there is unrighteousness in God, end quote. To these wise words, I remind you of something I said at the start. It is this. There is a view of predestination called equal ultimacy, or the symmetrical view. In this view, God works equally to keep the elect in heaven and the reprobate out of heaven. God works equally. God moves in a symmetrical way to save some and damn others. God is equally active in giving the gift of faith to those he saves and giving unbelief to those he damns. In our illustrations, God intentionally intervenes in the lives of Jacob and Moses to give them the gift of faith so they believed and are saved. And God intentionally intervenes in the lives of Esau and the Pharaoh to give them unbelief, to keep them from faith, so they never believe and are therefore unsaved. God takes positive action on both. God is active in the lives of both. But this view is incorrect. It is false. For the elect, for those whom God has predestined and chosen as his people, God does work positively in our lives to actively grant to us the gift of faith. This faith that he plants in our hearts is a pure gift. We are sinners whom have done nothing to deserve this grace, but we have joyously received it. And we see exactly this in the lives of Jacob and Moses. But for those whom God does not elect, for those whom God does not choose, God only works negatively. God is passive. God does not plant in these people's hearts unbelief. What God does is he passes them over. He lets them be. He does not give these men and women the gift of faith, but he also does not give them unbelief or sin or evil. 
In our illustrations, God did not intervene in the lives of Esau and the Pharaoh to give them unbelief, so they are not saved. God simply was passive. He let these men and their descendants live as they wanted to live in the lusts of their flesh, even when they sinned against God and God's elect. More tomorrow on God Is. Thank you for listening to this God Is podcast. Drop me an email and tell me what you think. Mark at GodIsMinistry.org That's mark at godisministry.org. Please do share this with others and be sure and join me for the next one.